Hi, this is Masood Hassan, and this is the Consulting Edge Podcast. Welcome to episode 12. Today I'm offering you 20 pieces of gold. Well, not physically, but 20 pieces of golden advice that you can start using immediately. Now, before bringing guests onto the show, I've been overwhelmed with emails with various questions about various topics across a whole range of things. So what I thought I'd do, I'd just take some time out and go through the sort of top 20 things that I've been asked. Nothing major or elaborate, but something that I could answer straight away with a straightforward answer. Now, the timing of this is really good because last week I had a privilege to run a workshop session with a group of executive MBAs on entrepreneurship. As you can imagine, they were smart, they were intelligent, they were a really curious group, and I was really impressed by their interest in becoming entrepreneurs. Now, I remember when I was in their position during my corporate years, if you had told me that I would be where I am today, I probably would have said no chance. But at the time, I was never given those 20 pieces of gold. So here they are. Number one. Always, always, always focus on helping the client improve their situation. Always remember that you're there to improve the client's condition. They should be in a better off condition than before you started. Now, whatever happens, don't harm the client. Make sure you act like a precision surgeon. Don't kill the patient. If the client's left in the same situations that you found them, then that's simply not good enough. You haven't really done your job. You've been brought in to help improve the performance of the client by either solving a problem, by simplifying it, or reducing complexity in whatever they do. It may be a simple case of making them more effective or efficient. Whatever it is, it's an improvement that is measurable and proven. So you're there to raise the bar, set a different standard, improve that standard for them. And if you don't do that, from my perspective, you really haven't been successful. Number two, work solely with the true economic buyers. They're the stakeholders that can actually sign the deal. Look, I've said to many consultants before that working with project managers or the team is fine, but your conversations have to be with the stakeholders that are going to make the decisions and hold a pen to sign the check. Don't waste your time if you're not speaking to those economic buyers. And whatever you do, stay away from the procurement of finance departments. You'll need to engage them at some stage, but don't do it at the beginning. You need to quickly be able to identify those commercial buyers and stakeholders and work with them. Find the guys that are going to sign the check for you and that recognize the value that you're able to bring to them. Without that, you're dust, not gold dust. Number three, remember you're a guest and not a tenant. You don't have to live there. Your job is to be quick, do what you came to do and then leave. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't build a long-term relationship or work with the client for long-term. For any one project, you should want to finish quickly and then stop. And that's in the best interest of the client. It's also in your best interest. You want to get the result fast, demonstrate your value, and then don't drag things out. In my own consulting practice, I'd rather prefer short-term projects that give quick results. You may have multiple projects, but make sure you don't outlive your welcome and be as quickly as you possibly can to finish and leave. Look, value-based pricing is just that, a fee commensurate with the value delivered to the client. That's why value-based contingency and value-based fees are so important. You're not paid for the time that you're spending, but the result that you get, which leads me, of course, to number four. Number four, it's all about the output and not the input. Let's speak about value delivered and don't confuse it with deliverables, which are only proof that you've done certain work. Never, ever talk about deliverables if you can help it. Don't even talk about them or position them in that way. Procurement people, finance people, project managers, 
All of them, they'll all talk about deliverables and they'll push you in that direction. And they're the worst. They're always asking about, give me a package of work. How many hours will there be? How many reports will you have? What endless PowerPoint documents will you produce? What will that look like? Just show me what you've done and what I've asked for. And we'll sign it off and pay you. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I hate them. Always have. It shows no evidence of real results and putting the value on one element into context of the whole client. Now, this will change your life going forward. Why? Because they charged you for life-changing value. That's what you should be pitching. So deliverables, I mean, who cares? Worry solely about the outcome and how the client's condition is improved. Number five, manage reverse scope creep. Now, reverse scope creep is worse than scope creep. Now, in scope creep, a project slowly gets out of control by becoming much, much larger than you initially agreed with your client. Now, basically, a client continues to ask you to do just one more thing. Just keep adding that to your list of things to do. And because you're too nice for your own good, you accept it. Now, the problem is that everyone's concerned about what the client is asking you to do more and more. Now, what I've found is that the most consultants get into trouble not because of what the client's asking you to do, but they get in trouble by themselves. They suggest additional things to do because they don't think they're worth it or that the work is so easy that they need to do more to demonstrate to the client that they're worth and their value. Otherwise, it's hard to justify the fees, right? So reverse scope creep is where you allow the additional requirements, the work and the time to creep into the project. You're looking for more work to do just to justify your existence. Listen, stop it. Don't do it. What are you thinking of? Number six, you don't need to be popular. I know a four-word sentence that has the power to get a negative response out of almost everyone who hears it. Are you ready for it? Brace yourself because it might sting a little. I don't like you. See? It hurts, doesn't it? So there's one word of caution. Sometimes people who dislike you have a legitimate reason to do so. Being genuinely yourself doesn't do much if you're going to ignore everything that's been said and if you refuse to change anything. Don't forget to keep an open mind to constructive criticism and realise you still have plenty of shit to learn. You're also not there to be liked. It doesn't matter whether people like you. You're there to force people to change. You're there to alter the status quo and disrupt the pattern of thinking and find new ways of working that impact the business and delivers overwhelming value. Never worry about some gatekeeper not liking you and undermining the project. If the true buyer says we're going to do this, don't worry about being liked. Now, what will this mean for you? This can mean about as much or as little for your life as you like. The message boils down to this. Your top priority should be saying what you feel and doing what flows organically from you and come on hopefully helping others here and there. Now, if you do this, more people may end up disliking you. I mean, it's natural, but at least you'll be more content. You'll stand for something and you derive a sense of meaning from your identity that is arguably more valuable. If you want to be liked, then go and get a pet of some kind. Number seven, never, 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 ever water down your content or your message or your presentation or simplify the concepts that need to be taught. Don't make yourself look less than the client. Always be better dressed, always be better spoken, always be better behaved, always be better presented. Making your material and your content available for people of all abilities is really just a simple and polite way to say, make it easy for stupid people to understand. Listen, people aren't idiots. People are busy and have priorities. We all have things that we are experts in and other topics about which we know nothing about. We're not all dumb because we don't know about something. So the idea of dumbing things down is particularly counterproductive and somewhat patronising actually, and nobody benefits. 
Instead, create gravitas and an air of authority, someone who is and looks successful. So don't do it. Number eight, consistently ask for referrals. Referrals are easier to generate than you might think. The hardest part is getting up the courage to ask. Some people think that they'll offend clients by asking for more business. In reality, your customers will be more than happy to send people your way if they're satisfied with your work. Now, it's important that you develop a good relationship with your clients, of course, and develop a plan so you can get referrals and business from each and every one of them. If you're not really sold on the idea of asking for referrals, then here's a few facts that will hopefully convince you. So first of all, referrals don't cost anything. Secondly, people always know someone who can benefit from your services. Thirdly, your customers are better at marketing than you are. And fourthly, referrals can lead you to more referrals. It's kind of like compound interest. Referrals become more rewarding when they turn into referrals themselves. Again, everyone knows someone who can benefit from your services. Continue to multiply your referrals and you'll eventually have an endless stream of customers, all of them who can lead to additional referrals. Which brings me to my next point. Number nine, get glowing client testimonials and rave reviews. And it can all be boiled down to one word, ask. Sure, you might get a few sporadic testimonials from satisfied clients without asking, but you get way more testimonials when you ask. Listen, you've done a good job. You've done a great job, in fact. It's a win-win-win. Your clients are doing favours for others and for you. Always remember, you're not selling something and you're trying to help others avail themselves of that value. That is an absolute key. None of us wants to make a bad buying decision. So we rely heavily on the brave souls that have gone before us. How often do you buy something on Amazon without reading reviews? The secret to gathering client testimonials is one, asking. Secondly, having a simple, repeatable process to remove the guesswork and prevent procrastination. Now start getting your clients to brag about you. And start now. Number 10. Always give choices and options. Choices and options equals control equals survival. Even though it's not necessarily true, we equate having choices with having control. Look, our survival instincts tell us that we'll survive if we have control. So it's our powerful unconsciousness that keeps us seeking control. And it's the desire for control that keeps us seeking choices. We like having choices because it makes us feel in control. We won't always choose the fastest way to get something done. We want to feel that we're powerful and that we have choices. If you want people, your clients, to do stuff, give them options so they can always say yes. Don't give them any wiggle room to say no. Number 11. It's all about setting value. It's not about price and it's not about the cost of your services. If you're discussing rate cards and hourly rates, you've actually lost control of the discussion straight away. And possibly you're not positioning your earning in line with the value that you're able to bring to them. Don't get into discussions with those that know the price of everything but the value of nothing. You don't need them. Don't waste your time. Now, don't fall into this trap where most of them, I suspect, are going to tell you that your service needs to be either cheaper than the competition offering or offer more than the competition themselves. Value is little to do with price. Look, a corkscrew is totally cheap to buy. But listen, if you're trying to get a bottle of wine open, guess what? It's of enormous value. Similarly, just because something costs more than its peers doesn't mean it's poor value. And if it did, nobody would buy an Apple computer or a BMW. Every brand that exists today has value to someone. Otherwise, the brand would not exist. Now, with high value comes the highest quality and therefore higher fees. So stop it. Don't devalue your brand. Number 12. Time is true wealth. Look, despite the riches that we all acquire and gather through our lifetime, we only end up as slaves to our work while we lead lives of quiet desperation. 
Our work is supposed to work for us, but we end up working for it. The irony is that the more well-off we are financially, the more time we spend at our work. We become successful and unhappy. Even when we get the results that we want, it's at the cost of our relationships, which is never worth the sacrifice. If you can't make your work work for you, then what's the point? Real value is not defined in monetary terms. We know that and we keep telling ourselves that. Now, money provides the fuel to what we want to do with our time. And real wealth comes in the form of how much discretionary time you have available to you. It is the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Look, money is only a means to the end, or it should be, while true wealth is having discretionary time and the ability to spend time where you want to. The more discretionary time we have to spend with our loved ones and doing the things that we want to, in other words, other work that you like to do, hobbies that you might have, interests that you might want to take forward, the more true wealth that we actually start to possess. Now go right now and take a month off. No one's going to miss you. Don't think they will, and you'll feel a lot better for it. Number 13, stay relevant to your market. Look, focus on content ecosystems and not just single service or yesterday's content. Create multiple revenue streams, not just a single line of service. You've got to stay relevant in this highly competitive industry. And it's hard. I know that. Learn to introduce new products or offerings to the market. Don't become stagnant. Your market will change and therefore so should you. You've got to stay relevant. Look, 80% of my sales last year came from stuff I hadn't even created a year ago. Make sure that you are providing more and more. Look, people that can purchase and avail themselves of you as you grow your practice. And as you mature, if you're just doing what you did years ago, even if you're better at it, it's simply just not good enough. Number 14. You've got to make it easy for people to work with you. It's a little like the content ecosystem that I've just mentioned in number 13. You want to make sure that people have accessibility to you and your services in the easiest way possible. Proximity is expensive. That means that the closer the clients want to work with you, the more expensive it will be. Don't give away your personal one-to-one time at the same fee structure as a report or a presentation. One-to-one personalized services are exclusive. Your clients need to understand the value of this and the results that they can get as a result of that. Number 15, you've got to create gravitational pull and not push in your marketing and your messaging towards your consulting services. And you've got to know how to bring people into your orbit. Gravity is all about getting people to come after you instead of you going after them. This reversal in relationship dynamic is really important. Look, here's why. When your key stakeholders seek you out, you're in a position to set the circumstances for success. When you're pursuing them, you never know what you might have to cope with, from unfavorable environment factors to other cockamamie ideas of how best to work together. The more removed you are, the less you have an impact. Number 16. Develop your own brand as you. Nobody can buy your stuff if they don't know you exist. It's really hard to build a business if your entire target market consists of your immediate family and friends. That might work in the beginning. But if you're serious about building a business, then you need to expand beyond that. You're going to have to find your target audience and get your marketing message in their face. You need to meet them where they are so they can learn about you and your business and what you offer. Your personal brand is absolutely critical. It's a representation of you that others are presented with when they look for you online. And it's the image that you set to choose to project in face-to-face interactions. Look, as an example, I'm me. I'm Masood Hassan. I've got Pinnacle Advisory Services, I've got the Consulting Edge, or the Academy of Supply Chain and Operations Management. But ultimately, it's me. It's my name. Develop what you need to do in your service and brand, and then develop your name. Number 17. Fake it till you make it. It's not a viable business strategy. 
This has got to be the worst strategy that you can adopt as an entrepreneur. Now, I've worked at a couple of companies that follow this adage and nothing good has come from it. The premise of fake it, like you know what you're doing until you do, is arguably the most dishonest business practice that you could ever engage in. It falls into the category of unethical consulting. It's not what I'm about and I don't endorse it. When people find your business or service, they want to know that you're knowledgeable and have the expertise to deliver. Faking competence or saying that you're something that you're not just ends up wasting their time and yours. Have some integrity and either refer them to someone who can actually help them or just decline their business. Walk away. Number 18. Don't be afraid to fail. I say this time and time again. Failure isn't the end. It's the beginning if you failed. It means that you've ruled out one road as a dead end and you've got other routes to take. The great thing is there are millions and millions of other roads to try and one of them will lead to success. You just need to stick with it. Now, failures help us grow as entrepreneurs and people. It builds character, grit, resilience and industry knowledge. And believe it or not, it's one of the most powerful tools wrapped in a tough lesson that can motivate us to win if we let it. The problem is that too many people stop prematurely and never see their vision come to fruition. If you're not failing, you're simply just not trying hard enough. Fail early and often in business and you'll be able to quickly assess what works for you and what doesn't. We hear a lot about being positive. Maybe also what we need to recognise is that the negative parts of our lives and experiences have just as important role to play in finding success both in work and in life. Which leads me to number 19. Just turn to see the other side of the coin. Never fear success. Failure and success are two sides of the same coin. Don't get yourself in a position of self-sabotage and keep yourself from reaching out to your full potential. Fear of success can also be referred to as success anxiety. Watch out for the behaviours and spot them early. You'll notice them. You'll set yourself low goals. You set the bar too low to keep yourself from being challenged. You'll procrastinate. You'll just do enough to let opportunities pass you by. You'll be in perfection mode. You'll strive for perfection when you'll inevitably fall short. That's reason enough not to proceed. You'll quit and you'll quit early. Just when you're on the verge of success, you'll find a reason to quit. You'll be self-destructive and you'll start showing those self-destructive behaviours to detail yourself out. You're not enough, or you're not doing enough fast enough. And of course is number 20. Just simply avoid the syndrome of my car is bigger than your car. We base our success in our personal lives now by just having ownership of something. The idea that once I own something, I'm successful. When you don't have something, but your friends or people around you do, a lot of those thoughts can go to, well, I'm not good without those things. Now, envy comes from that place of thinking and some pretty uncomfortable thoughts about our own self-worth. Life is not about comparing yourself to one or the other and trying hard to replace or overcome them. By comparing yourself to someone, you're unknowingly wasting time to fit yourself into a wrong shoe, which is not meant for you. Look, we're all unique and special in our own ways. One can never replace or fill other people's positions. Not everyone possesses everything, nor can we do everything in this world. We're all born with unique talents and different capabilities. Don't let your efforts go in vain trying to make a step ahead of the others, ignoring that you're taking the wrong road that may mislead you away from your destination. So get in the car that you can afford, that's comfortable for you, and you can drive at a speed that's safe for you. There'll always be someone with a bigger car than you. So don't waste your time. Instead of focusing on things you don't have, turn your attention on what you do have. Get comfortable with yourself and being happy. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. And trust me, it'll take you to places that you've never dreamed of before. And it'll give you the edge above everybody else. 
You've probably heard the story of Taro, the young woodcutter that was in Japan, who had a magic waterfall. The story of the magic waterfall reached the emperor of Japan, and he sent for him. He thought he was going to get his head cut off, but actually the emperor rewarded him, and he gave him 20 pieces of gold for having been so good and kind. That's it from me, and until next time, I hope this was useful. As always, please drop me a line on Masood at theconsultingedge.co, and I'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm truly blessed. I hope that you managed to get some real value and insight from this week's show. Don't forget, you can sign up and download each action guide for free or email me directly on masood at theconsultingedge.co if you want to connect. Hey, I'd love to hear about your story and also to let me know what you'd like to listen to on any of the future series of the podcast. Until then, here's to your continued success to find your consulting edge become a consultant printer and be part of the 1 million futures.